0: picture. This song just paints a picture for us, Lord, on how in the midst of everything, in the midst of all kinds of things, Lord, you are constantly uh, coming after us. And you do that in ways, Lord, that sometimes are uncomfortable. You do that in ways that, Lord, that are easy. But more often than not, there's there's friction that's involved. And, Lord, that friction can turn into two things. It can turn into us shying away. Or, Lord, the the friction can turn into traction. And then that traction can turn into momentum. And then all of a sudden, Lord, there's a rhythm. And we get good at that rhythm, Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, this morning, as is, is, is we have sang this song, that you won't relent. Lord, I thank you so much that that's the truth. That's not something that we think, or it's it's a cliche thing to say in church, that you're always after us, Lord, because in your word, you're always pursuing your children, always. And it's, Lord, it's for the purpose of on the backside of whatever the situation or circumstance is that we can look just like you. So we go through things, Father, so that we can look just like you. So I just thank you for this time. Lord, we don't want to move forward without your spirit. Lord, and I thank you for worship, that it cuts through the flesh. I pray that right now you would cut through the flesh in Jesus' name. And that our hearts would be receptive to your word and what is being spoken, Lord. So we love you, we thank you, we need you because we cannot do this without you. And when we do, it's a train wreck. So Lord, we 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 put this time in your hands. We put our hearts in your hands, and we say, we give up. We give up in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. I always like to say that you guys could have spent your time. Somewhere else, but you chose to spend it with us, and so for that, I am unbelievably grateful. Um, but just want to say, hey, miss y'all, miss you guys, because I haven't been I haven't been up on the pulpit the past two weeks. Beck has been so gracious in taking over. Um, obviously, you guys know Beck. Uh, guys are doing announcements for those of you who are new. Um, but yeah. Uh, I I've, I've missed being able to to speak to you guys and so it's a joy to be back here um was in Colorado Springs last Sunday preaching at our church in Colorado Springs that we just started um so we're a couple months into that and it's it's rolling so continue to pray for those people because they they need that um the Lord is definitely starting a work in those people and when that happens you experience opposition you do. And so they constantly need to be covered. Let's just continue to to pray for them as they uh, continue to to let that thing grow down there. But, yeah, been gone for a couple of weeks. I'm glad to be back. But the interesting thing is you guys know how we, we do things here. And for those of you who are new, what we do is we preach entire books. I don't preach. It's hard to, to do topical preaching. And if we do that, it's it's very few and far between. Simply because in order to get the full counsel of the word, you got to look at all of the word. <laughs> so we're in the book of Nehemiah and Nehemiah is specific to the Lord commissioning this man to go build a wall around Jerusalem. Because at the time, um, the, the the Jews had been called out of exile and they were purposed to do three things. Rebuild the altar, rebuild the temple, and now we're looking at the rebuilding of this wall. And we've gone through the first four chapters in painstakingly slow fashion, because there's little, I mean, two or three verses here and there, but what's interesting is I leave for two weeks, come back, and all of a sudden we've gone through an entire chapter. <laughs> we usually don't do that, um, but that's not a bad thing, because there have been some some chunks of scripture that have been need, needed to be looked at, um, yeah, just in, in a chunk, so that we don't take things out of context and make it say something that we want it to say. Well, it's the same with chapter five. So I'm going to kind of venture away from what we usually do as far as taking one verse here and there, two, three verses, and really breaking it down and getting into it to looking at the whole council of the entire 19 verses in chapter five. So what I'm going to say this morning is bear with me, okay? I'm going to be reading a lot, but at the same time, the Lord's got some, some specific things to say to us through this chapter five that I think is... Uh, is worth looking at. Um, And so to jump in to this morning, again, I was saying that this this isn't a chapter that we can necessarily break down as much as I might come back and preach on it again next week, little things. But in order for us to capture the broad picture of what's going on in this chapter, I got to read it all. Um, and from my understanding, Beck stopped, I think, at verse 20 in chapter 4 last week, which leaves us in chapter 4 with verses 21, 22, and 23, which I don't, is not a problem. We're going to read those. And you're going to see something in these verses. Now, to bring you up to date real quick, Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, inspects the wall, work starts. Now he's commissioning, excuse me, appealing to the people to just build right in front of their house to build this wall. This wall was 1.5 miles long and at least 16 feet thick in any given point, and it was 35 to 45 feet high. That's a that's a big wall. He built this thing in 52 days, and he did it by having each family build right in front of their house. So we were we're going through the building process, and there's a bunch of opposition from some characters: Sambalat, Tobiah. Geshem, I like to call him Sambalot and the boys, Tobiah and the boys. All right? Now, something has happened to where the opposition has become so great that these people who are building are now building with a sword in one hand. And they're building, excuse me, they're building with a sword in one hand and basically a trowel in the other. Building materials, uh, masonry materials if you want to call it that. Uh, So it's a unique situation. I don't have time to kind of break down and, and go through all of that as much as that brings us up to verse 21. And it says this, it says, so we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. And at that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. Now what we see in these, two, in these three verses right here is that as they've learned how to build, they're in this place where they're building and they're fighting at the same time. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever built anything? Those of you who have a family in here, you should be like nodding your head yes. Yes. You know, have you ever had to fight for that family at the same time? Have you ever had to build something that is so important to you that the Lord said, look, this is what I need you to do. And because you're stepping in to the work of the Lord, opposition comes and therefore you have to fight as well. See, what happens in those three verses is these people start to get a rhythm. They start to get good at building and fighting at the same time. And. I'm going to take you through four verses in chapter four before we read chapter five. Because there's something that I want you to understand is that this rhythm is specific to one word. One word. And it's unity. Now that may seem like, oh man, you guys are just talk, always talk about unity in the church and this, that, and the other thing. But uh, hear me when I say this. Like, please don't miss me on this one. The number one thing that makes the enemy Shake is a unified church. It's a unified body. It's a unified family. It's a unified marriage. It's a unified relationship. Because think about it. What did sin do? Sin separates us from Jesus. Creates disunity. So the Lord sent his son to remedy that. To bring unity. That's his whole mode of operation. Everything that he is about when he's working on you in certain areas. Number one, he's trying to bring you in closer unification with him, with him, which should permeate into your relationships, unity among each other. All right. Now, here's how we see this real quick. Verse 20. Just go one verse back in verse four. Excuse me. Chapter four. It says that whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So here's what happens. The trumpet sounds, they drop whatever they're doing, and they go, and they fight. There's got to be a level of unity and understanding in that, that when that trumpet uh, trumpet sounds, everyone knows what's going on. And people have bought into that. Now, what we're going to see here. In chapter 5. Is that because of that rhythm. The people began to experience the unity. We see that in verse 20. Now this was after. Opposition from Tobiah and the boys. Rose to a level. That was not sufficient enough. Now it wasn't Tobiah and Sambalat that was the opposition. Let me say that. It was the enemy himself. Because I've been through things in my life where what the, the enemy tried to get me to do was say, it's that person's fault. And then I take all my energy and I go after that person. When it's, uh, there's something way underneath that. It's spiritual warfare. You guys chucking with me on that? It's spiritual warfare. So what we're going to see is all of these tactics that the enemy is using, talking about people, mocking All of these things, all of a sudden, they don't work anymore. So what the enemy has to do is he has to pull out all the stops. And we're going to see a shift in the way that he comes at these people. It'll go from being boisterous and loud and in your face, and here's what's happening from the outside, to this. He's going to do everything he can to break you up from the inside. He's going to try to turn it into an inside job because guess what? Everything on the outside isn't working. And let's see this real quick. I got to get through this quick because it kind of it trailed a little bit last hour. So I'm sorry about that. But before we do that, let me say this to you. You are not a threat to the enemy if you're not walking in your calling. Think about that. Why would he spend time on somebody who's doing the job for him? Does that make sense? When you're not walking in what the Lord has asked you to walk in, you're doing the enemy's job for him. So therefore, you're not a threat. You're just not a threat. But when you step in, my goodness, when you step into the very thing that he said, look, here's what I purposed you to do. The enemy's like, "Mm, okay, let me try a few things. And this is what happened to Nehemiah. Let me try a few things with this. Verse, excuse me, chapter 2, verse, verse, uh, verse 10. There's a progression here of unity among the builders, but there's also a progression of opposition. And this is what I'm about to read, the progression of the opposition. Verse 10, real quick, chapter 2. It says this. Uh, when Samblot the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, the rebuilding of the wall, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. See, he's, the enemy starts off with simple displeasure. Like, have you ever jumped into something and some people just kind of don't agree? Now, here's here's what the enemy's trying to get at: if you're a people pleaser, that'll affect you, really. If you want everybody just to feel good about what you're doing, even if it's the wrong thing or if it's the right thing, it doesn't matter. What the enemy's doing is he's trying to prey on that. But guess what? Because of the leader that Nehemiah was and the God that these people served, that didn't work. So he said, you know what? Okay, that's fine. Let me up the stakes just a little bit more. And we're going to go to verse 19 of chapter 2. And this is what we read. But when Sandalot the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite, and then one other guy gets thrown in there, Geshem the Arab heard of it. They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? My goodness. All right. So it turns into uh, the opposition heightening just a little bit, this light mocking. Now, I know nobody in here has ever had anybody talk about them behind their back, right? Nobody. Okay, you guys missed that one. It's a joke. Okay? You had that happen. I guarantee that. And it's happening a, in, a, in an instance or a situation where it's cut you deep. Well, the enemy is trying to prey on that in these people. Let me mock them in what they're doing and see if God is really God in their life. Because here's the thing. If somebody comes up to me and starts telling me things that is not congruent to the scripture and what the scripture says about me. If they're saying things that are in opposition to the word of God, then I don't even need to deal with it. I just don't because it's not the truth. But these people are saying things to try to get them off of thinking that they are children of God. See, if God isn't God in your life, that tactic would have worked. If God isn't God over everything, that would have affected those people. All right? It didn't. So the enemy takes it one step further, and the mocking goes up. Same thing. We see this in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now it came about that when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked. The Jews. There's a verse that we use in our discipleship. Um, and it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Is it it's Luke 14, 26, where it says, if any man wants to come after me, he must hate. The Lord uses the word hate, but we got to understand the context of this word. That in the... Hebrew, Greek, excuse me. I always get those two mixed up. In the Greek, that word means to love less. You are you are to love less your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, yes, even your own life. And by this, you will prove to be my disciple. So if you really want to follow the Lord, what that verse is saying is that no matter what anybody says, No matter how big of an emotional reaction Somebody close to you has I still have to be God So there's this mocking There's this angry emotional reaction To something that's going on And guess what? It doesn't rattle anybody Why? Because no emotion from somebody else Dictated Nehemiah's behavior Do we do that? If I know who I am what I've come from where I stand no matter what anybody says it shouldn't shake me amen but guess what the enemy is still coming because you're walking in a manner worthy of the calling so he picks it up again we read in verse 7 of chapter 4 now when Sambalat Tobiah the Arabs and Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and here's the kicker and the breaches Places where they could get in began to be closed. They were very angry. And what Beck did a beautiful job of preaching in the chunks of scripture after that was this onslaught from these men of physical opposition that was uh, pointed at Nehemiah and pointed at these people. The enemy said, I can't get him with words. All right, I'm just going to come at him physically. Anybody in here had that happen before? <laughs> Hallelujah. Things just keep hitting you, and you get waylaid, and you get smacked around. It's the enemy trying to get you off track. But guess what? That didn't work either because there was this rhythm that started to take place in and that rhythm was the unity of the people, where they could fight with a sword in one hand and also build in the other hand, taking care of each individual part. I mean, this fits right into Ephesians four, eleven through 16. So you know what the enemy does? <laughs> he goes from loud and boisterous all out front. Hey, guess what? I'm coming at you. I'm going to mock you. I'm going to talk about you behind your back. And I'm even going to send people to being very quiet. And crafty. And the onslaught is not from the forefront anymore. This is where we see the shift. This is where we jump in to chapter 5. You know what? This is where the title comes in. The enemy declares war on unity. And you know what he tries to make it? He tries to make it an inside job. Now, chapter 5 is like, Seems like it's in left field, comparatively speaking, to all that we have gotten done reading, honestly. Because it's talking about this thing called usury. Everybody in here know what usury is? The glorified term, simple English dictionary definition of usury is excessive interest on a loan. So it's the abolishment of this. Why is the Lord talking about Usury right now. We're going to read some of this. We're going to read the first five chapters. Excuse me. First five verses. This chapter is broken up into four different parts. The first part is this. This cry from the people. And then the second part is Nehemiah's response. Well, there's a lot in that response that we can take from. And then from that response, you see the people who Nehemiah confronted. Have a change of heart. And it's the way that he confronted them that allowed for that change of heart. And then the last part, verses 14 through 19, Nehemiah, is, is, he uses an example that I think hit home, hits home. Him being an example of not abusing his power. So as we read through this, the Lord didn't mess up in putting Scripture together. Seems like this isn't left field, comparatively speaking, but real quick, let me read the first five verses. Then we're going to jump over to Deuteronomy, and we're going to see why. All right. Verses one through five says this. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Now, that famine is, you can read of that famine in Haggai. That famine was because of their behavior. So they're trying to come out of that. Now, number four, also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we have we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. So there's this cry from these people, they're saying, look, we're, we're being beaten down on. Now let me, let's turn to Deuteronomy, and let me show you why this is so bad. Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 and 20. Now what I appreciate about the word of God is that you guys don't have to take my word for it. Don't take Alex's word for it. I don't want to interpret the word. The word has to interpret itself. Now, there may be times where I may get it wrong, and the Lord would convict me in that. And I have no problem coming back to you guys and saying, hey, you know what? Forgive me. But I hope that you would trust the, the time that I spend in front of the Lord, that you trust that Jesus in me. So here's what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20. I think that's what it is. Is the word of God saying to us, Here's why this usury is so bad. It's right here in the word. It's a law that these people are breaking, plain and simple. It says right here, verse 19. I don't know if we have that, if we can get we don't have that back there. Okay. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Okay, in other translation translations it says, You will not charge interest to your brother. What's happening? In Nehemiah, they're charging interest to their brother. So it's a very clear picture of the Lord saying, look, this is not right. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. Verse 20, you may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen, you shall not charge interest so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake. in the land which you are about to enter to possess. And as we flip back over to Nehemiah, their outcry was specific to being treated wrong the wrong way. And it wasn't because it was somebody on the outside of the wall being loud and boisterous. That came from within. You know what it was? It was people feeding on each other instead of feeding each other. It was people helping themselves rather than helping others. So when I say that it was a war on unity, the enemy declared war on unity, he stopped trying to come from the outside. And you know what he did? He tried to get in each individual on the inside of the wall. So here's how this translates. Ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are leading families, men. Those of you who are in relationships, those of you who are have friendships in the church within this wall. Now, we're supposed to go outside of the walls, okay? Go, go do God's work. We're not supposed to huddle up, but here's what I'm saying. If we spend so much time getting on the same page and being unified and doing that which God has called us to do. You better believe that the way that the enemy is going to try to get you and make you to trip, cause you to trip up, is he's going to try to pit me against Beck. He's going to try to pit Beck against my mom. He's going to try to pit anybody in our leadership, Jared, against Kayla. Because if he can't do it from the outside, he's going to do it from within. So you guys, I hope that you hear me when I say it's so unbelievably important that, as the enemy declares war on unity, we have to declare war for unity, so that it is not an inside job. You're gonna mess up. I'm gonna fail. You're gonna fail. There's things that we're just gonna fall short in. We're gonna do it. but here's the, here's what we see. There's a group of poor people who are crying out and saying, we're oppressed. And we oppressed by this group of rich people who were all in the same camp. Now, Nehemiah, as a leader, could go to the rich people and just blow them right out of the water. He could do that. There's someone in the church who's not getting treated well by this other person. I, as a leader, could go to this other person and blow that person out of the water. Now, I'm going to explain that further, that the way that Nehemiah handled this situation is something that we all need to take note of. That when it becomes an inside job, you see the enemy trying to pit family members against each other because of past, present, future, doesn't matter. If he can do that and win at it, he will. He's going to exhaust his resources to do it. But then we see Uh, Nehemiah's response, he said, then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words, I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, okay, you know what I appreciate about Nehemiah is that he's real all the time. You know what? Something happens to you, and you get pissed off. Okay, that's a biblical term. I don't know where it is. You get unbelievably furious about something. Be real about that. Nehemiah was. He said, you know what? I'm extremely angry about this. But here's, here's where this goes. He didn't stay there. Because Nehemiah throughout all of this ch- uh, this book has been an example of how to approach the Lord. We saw it in the first chapter with prayer and how he inspected the wall after that, how he was a leader and he was out in front of his people. You know what he did in verse 7? It says this. It says that after he was angry, he said, I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles. You know what that looks like? He just said, you know what? Okay, let me let me just calm down real quick. Let me remove myself from the situation because if I react out of anger, man, I'm going to blow this whole thing up. So Nehemiah, even though it had nothing to do with him, was fighting for unity in that moment. That even though he had every right to be angry and every right to blow these people out of the water, he didn't do it because he was fighting for unity. He was the example of fighting for unity before he even confronted the situations with this nobleman, these noblemen who were exacting usury on the poor people. Basically, the poor were getting poor, the richer, the rich were getting richer. You guys trucking with me on this? And here is his appeal. This is what he says. And there's something in this that I'm going to pull out here that the Lord dropped in my spirit as, as I was studying this verse 7 I consulted with myself and contended uh, contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them you are exacting usury each from his brother within the camp therefore i had a, held a great assembly against them and said to them we according to our ability have redeemed our jewish brothers who were sold to the nations now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us then they were silent And could not find a word to say. Again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nation, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine, the oil that you are exacting from them. Hmm. Nehemiah's appeal was this. Look, these people are just like you. They put their pants on just like you do. there's, There's a message that I preached a while back. I can't remember if it was coming out of Haggai or Nehemiah where actually it was the giving series that we trailed, not didn't trail off into, but we stepped over to in conjunction with Nehemiah. And you guys hear me a lot say that it's all God's money anyway because you have a lot or a little doesn't give you any kind of power or authority over anybody. It's all his. So when you operate in that, the Lord, man, he'll get you. And he's appealing to these noblemen saying, the poor are just like you. They got the same blood running through their veins. And what I need you to do is stop taking advantage of your own brother and your own sister. Do we do that in the church today? Do we take advantage of each other that you have something you can give me, so I just want what you can give. And it has nothing to do with the relationship. But his appeal was this. As Nehemiah, from verse 1, chapter 1, all the way up until now, has been molded as a leader through the things that have happened, I guarantee this that the Lord has given him an ability to see the people just like God sees them. Because if it's void of love, then he's just a dictator. He's just a guy cracking a whip, saying, here's what we need to do, and here's how we're going to get it done. But in every response, Nehemiah is more concerned about his people than he is himself. He's more concerned about their welfare than he is his emotions. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a love story. Guess what? The way in which he approaches these people who were not doing the right thing was the same way. Let me love them too right behavior and what we see is the result of that in verse 12 then they said we will give it back and will require nothing from them we will do exactly as you say goodness gracious as a leader let me say this there's been times where there's let me say this it's easy to lead when everything's good it's just easy. Leadership meetings are great. All right? Everybody's just having a good time. as family. But as soon as something happens that I have to turn my attention to that's not necessarily fun, it does two things. You can say to me that you're all for this, all for ESIS, and you want me to be your leader. But as soon as, I don't say, as soon as I say something that you don't like – See, that to me is where the rubber meets the road. But here's the second part of this. Is that there's been times where I've had to sit in front of people who I love and say, look, this is wrong. And has anybody ever had a conversation, mock conversation with yourself in the car? As if that person's sitting right next to you and if they would say that, well, then I would say this. And, you know, I'll come back with that. And the conversation never goes that way. But guess what? In the car and in the shower... And while I'm working out, I'm 100%, I win those conversations every single time. (laughs) But here's what happened. I'm ready to jump down into it and just say, look, this is wrong, blow this up. As soon as I look at that person in the eyes, the Lord's like, love them like I do. Love them like I do. And what that does is it causes for a reaction from that person. That is pointed towards unity, and it doesn't drive a wedge between you and them, because you're you're responding in love. Do you guys catch me? These people responded because Nehemiah was able to present it firm, but also lovingly and be truthful about it. And guess what else? Verse thirteen. Um, let me read through verse twelve because I stopped halfway. Uh, Then they said, we will give it all back and require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priests and took an oath from the men that they would do according to this promise. Have you ever said, you know what, I'm sorry, I promise to never do it again? How often do you hear that from people? You know what what Nehemiah does? He, He takes it a step further. I also shook out the front of my garment, this is verse 13, and said, Thus may God shake out every man from this house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. See, if you're in here because of a personality, you will get exhausted with me. You'll fall flat on your face, and you go to another church because you're here because of a personality up front. Because guess what? I'm gonna uh, I said this already. I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna I'm gonna do things wrong. But for the amount of things that I mess up in, because of the Jesus in me, I'm gonna succeed in a lot of things. Same thing for you. And what I'm communicating to you guys this morning is that what Nehemiah is saying to his people in verse 13, I cannot be your accountability partner. The pastor of the church cannot be your accountability partner. Rick Richter can't. Johnny Square can't. Beck Easton can't. Your, whoever's discipling you can't. Your mentor cannot. He's saying, the Lord, your God, better be your accountability, because if that's not the case, he's going to continue to be unrelenting until he is. You catch that? He will take you through it, double loop learning, however many times you got to revisit the same thing until you get it, and that's because he loves you. Do we extend the same grace to each other? Amen? Okay, good, we're not doing too bad on time. Haven't bored you guys asleep yet? Hopefully not. So if I was to conclude all of that before we, we look through 14 through 19, that the outside tactics from the enemy didn't work. It just didn't work. He declared war on unity, and he made it an inside job. He said, if I can get to each individual part and cause that part to break down, Because of something that may be big, small, doesn't matter. If I can work that just a little bit, man, I can get that to gain some traction and move into something that's bigger, and then all of a sudden, I win from the inside. We need to declare war against the enemy trying to get us to be an ununified people. I have no other way of saying it. It may hurt you to death. To sit in front of somebody and say, you know what? Because of unity, I forgive you. Because of unity, I'm sorry. Because of unity, let's go. It may be hard for you to do that. But I guarantee nothing is hard for the Lord. (laughs) You guys chucking with me? If you get angry, just take a step back. And be more concerned with being together than with being right be more concerned with righteousness which is that which god has approved than being concerned with being right let me say this consequences will come don't don't misunderstand me you have to deal with your stuff But am I going to kick my countrymen out and begin to take advantage of him? Exact usury. Give and expect something in return. See, that's a whole other message. We give in the church. Do we exact usury on each other? Even when we love each other. That's a whole other message. My goodness. Do I expect something in return plus something else? He's trying to get rid of that. Now, Nehemiah does something here. The, the, the title of this portion of the chapter in my Bible says Nehemiah's example, and I think it's great. I think it's so perfect to conclude this whole message. Uh, so I'm just going to read through this real quick. I'm going to stop a couple times, but let's just, let's just use this as, as we close. It says, Moreover, this is verse 14, from the day that I was appointed to be the, their governor... In the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes. And then it explains itself for 12 years. 12 years, Nehemiah was the governor. Neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. Now, you got to understand something about what the governor's food allowance is. and It's better explained. I'll explain it a little bit more after we read verse 15. It says... But the former governors, people before Nehemiah, who were before me, laid burdens on the people, unfair burdens, and took from them bread and wine besides the 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. See, on top of the tax, the 40 shekels for the land or for the vineyard or for whatever it was that the governors were taxing, what they said the governor's allowance was. Was that I'm going to tax your land, but what you produce off of that land, I'm also going to require you to give me. I'm going to require you to give that to the government. So if you think about a farmer who's got 10 square acres, all right, he's paying tax on that 10 square acres. One acre, the governor says, look, you can't make a profit off of that. You got to pay me taxes. You got to pay me the 40 shekels, okay, but you can only do it off of nine. But that one, I'm going to take that, and you got to give that to me. See, it's like taxing on top of taxing, on top of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, Nehemiah is saying something. The governors before him set this up. But what he's saying in 12 years, I never took part in that. He himself is an example of not stepping into usury. And he's trying to explain that to these people. He said, I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Instead, you know what he did? He jumped down in the pit with the people. How often do we have an opportunity to take advantage of somebody? How often do we have an opportunity to pad our pockets, this governor's allowance? Maybe it's because it's been set up by somebody in front of you, but because of your fear of the Lord, you don't do that. And instead, you jump down and you get the same dust on your feet that that person is getting on theirs. You guys trucking with me on this? It's one thing to have the means by which to steal, the means by which, I don't know, to completely blow somebody out of the water, the means by which to slander somebody, the means by – you have ammunition to do it, and you're probably justified in doing it, but you don't do it. Nehemiah is saying, I had access to this, but guess what? I didn't want to do that. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to – Be in relationship with these people down in the dust where it's crappy, where it hurts. But you know what? It's for the sake of unity. It's for the sake that everyone in a family can be on the same page and you can fight as a unit because the most dangerous platoon, the most dangerous platoon on this earth, I'm going to say this, is a unified man and wife, is a unified church. Is a unified relationship. Is a unified family. Dangerous. Finish this up. I got to stop talking. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were among us. Now, that which was prepared for each day was one ox, six choice sheep. Also, birds were prepared for me. And once in ten days, all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance. All of this was provided. But he didn't demand more. Do you believe that the Lord is your provider? And how often do we demand more and we don't even know it? Man, I'm getting convicted of that right now. You ask the Lord for something, he gives it to you, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's not all of what I thought it was going to be. Well, guess what? It's exactly what you needed in the moment, so relax relax. He's got you taken care of. And it says, because the servitude was heavy on this people. Then verse 19, remember me, O God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. So, in this moment, let's get the, I was going to say the worship team, but Jared, back up here. Uh, And ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's something to be learned in these scriptures that, you know, this is a really corny analogy. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. If you watch TV at any length, you might know. But have you heard on TV or the radio these dollar shave clubs? Right? And they got commercials where... Guys walking into a convenience store wants to get more razors, but it's in this compartment that's like locked up, and they got security guards for it. It's I don't know if you guys have seen that in in uh, convenience stores. They got these things under lock and keys. Like, what are you doing? People approach these, and you know they get tased or they get shot with a blow dart or something. It's just excessive. It's a commercial. Someone got paid for it. You know, it is no test of valor, no test whatsoever. If you can't Take something or have access to something and then say, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to be tempted by that. It's no test of valor. I don't need these. These razors are under lock and key. But let me say this. What Nehemiah communicated from verses 14 to 19. And I've kind of touched on this a little bit. To be a true man or woman of character is to be in a situation where you can steal. You can take something. You can take advantage of your brother. You can blow somebody out of the water. You can be angry. You have all the ammunition in the world to do that. But you choose not to. You just choose not to do it. Because you're more concerned about what God can do with you being together than you can about being right does that make sense I kind of already touched on that earlier but I I wanted to use my analogy and I thought it was funny so that's why I did that I'm just kidding let's bring the the offering up here and I just want to communicate to you guys that if there's something that's going on in you in your family between your husband between your wife doesn't matter within the walls of the church that we have to be a people who declares war on unity in defense of unity no matter how hard it may be at any given time but that's the end goal because every single person has a piece to give every piece is important Ephesians 4 11-16 speaks to that the proper working of each individual part. So if the enemy can get at that, hey, guess what? He's kind of winning. Well, guess what we say today? We're drawing a line in the sand saying, you won't, you're not going to win. Amen? Can we say that today? You will not win. Say that with me real quick. You will not win. And we're speaking to the enemy on this one. Hallelujah. That's that unity right there. Come on now. Don't make me do backflips up here. Man, y'all sound great. Let me pray for this offering, Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are the ultimate shepherd. You're the good shepherd. And Lord, you leave the 99 to go get the one. And sometimes we are that one. And just as you have that staff in your hand, Lord, sometimes you use the, the blunt end of that staff to break one of those, those sheep's legs in discipline so that you can bring them back Lord so that the whole can be whole so that the hundred can be the hundred because without that one we cease to be uh, as powerful as you want us to be I thank you for your grace Lord I pray that as we give this morning that we understand that it's something that you're asking us to do and it creates unity within the body unity because of this god you are god over everything you're even god over my finances huh. and we believe what you say in malachi three ten that if we give that you would just that that we would test you you say test me in this Lord." that's the unity we want to step into because we say that you are lord over every single part of our lives and we don't want to move from that so bless the offering as it goes by lord i pray that we give cheerfully Not under compulsion and not grudgingly, but doing it because we love you. So bless the offering in Jesus' name. Amen.